So what was that journey like with your wife and being on the same page with her and being like-minded in your vision and your goals? Because I know that's something that I don't want to just make a big, big decision for the home and say, figure it out, honey. You know, I'll be back at 530. Make sure you have dinner ready. It first has to be this real sense of of mutual respect. And, and I had to prove myself out, honestly. I mean, I had to I had to show her I was willing to be the sacrificial servant leader. Any decision and any action I took was going to be for the, the good of her and for the good of the family. And so when there was a really challenging and hard decision to implement in the family that was going to cause lots of <laughs> turmoil and that she had to basically be the implementer. She knew that it, it wasn't me just making a flippant call and then walking away. It was I was going to be there to support her throughout the whole process. Hey guys, we wanted to get on here real quick before today's episode and let you know how much we appreciate you. Katie, you were just saying something about spit up. Wow. Everywhere. Oh, oh, you guys, we're just so thankful for all the love and support that we received since having Lionel. We're just so grateful to be bringing him into the world with uh, such wonderful people around us that we know personally and that we know further away. And so thank you guys so much that being able to celebrate with you guys has been just a real joy. Yes, thank you so much. And I need to find a rag. Okay, do that. I want to let you know too. Many of you ask, like, how can we support you guys? We want to. We like what you're doing, and honestly, so many of you already do support us um, by encouraging us. But one of the best ways you can do that is just liking, subscribing, sharing our podcast on any social media platforms you might have. Uh, that is what grows us and enables us to keep doing what we're doing which we love. And so thank you for doing that. Yeah, thank you so much here. Yeah, I'm gonna read Chuck Black's intro really quick and then we'll get going into today's episode. So Chuck Black, a former F-16 fighter pilot and a tactical combat communications engineer, is the author of 20 novels, including the popular Kingdom series, the Wars of the Realm series, the Star Lore Legacy series, and many more. I could go on and on and on. Chuck and his wife, Andrea, have six adult children and are a, veteran, are a veteran home educators of 24 years. In addition to writing, Chuck is currently the CEO of Flow Core Systems, an oil and gas chemical injections automation company. He is the inventor or co-inventor on 16 patents in the U.S. and in Canada. Wow, this guy sounds really know, interesting. It is. it is Chuck's passion to inspire people of all ages to follow the Lord with zeal and to equip parents, pastors, and youth leaders to accomplish the same. I tell you what, you guys are going to like this episode. I'm going to like this episode. I haven't heard it yet. Uh, I loved it. It's been one of my favorites. So, enjoy. The Now That We're a Family all right. Well, Mr. Chuck Black, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. I've already given our listeners a bit of a bio as to who you are and, and what you do. Uh, but I'd, I'm curious, I'd love to hear in your own words, when you, you know, when you meet somebody for the first time, or you bump into an old friend, and they say, Hey, what, what do you do? What are you up to? What's the answer these days? <laughs> uh, well, it's actually... A little bit longer of an answer than I'd like it to be. I've, I've got myself involved in a number of different uh, things. Um, obviously, you know, one of the reasons we're doing the interview here is because of the books I've written, which came out of our family devotions many years ago. And uh, God just had a bigger plan than what I had in in store for that. But uh, all along the way, I guess before we get into that part of my life, I've also um, been a an engineer, a product design engineer, an electrical engineer. Um, 
I've been through a couple of different companies, uh, mostly, well, all of them so far have been family owned. Um, I, don't, I guess maybe I back up. So I, I was born and raised in North Dakota. I uh, went to North Dakota State University, got, became an electrical engineer by degree. And then I went into the Air Force and served for nine years. I had two careers in the Air Force. One was a combat communications officer. And then uh, the second one um, I applied for and got accepted into pilot training, became an F-16 fighter pilot. Um, after nine years in the service, I exited and came home to a family business that my dad and my three older brothers had, a plastics injection molding company. And uh, I became their uh, first their product design engineer and then uh, their automation engineer for automating their labor processes so we could compete on a global market. And so we, I did that for about... Um, maybe 25 years or so. And then my brothers were all older than me. They wanted to exit and retire. So they sold the business and left me wondering what to do next. And in that process, another company was born um, with uh, uh, my master machinist and a, and a couple of nephews that had some ideas and uh, an idea turned into uh, some patents. And I started hiring my my children that were graduating from college at, you know, at the time then. And uh, so I'm now currently the general manager of a um, a chemical injection automation company in the oil and gas industry. So uh, we've grown to about, uh, we have about 16, 17 employees and we market a, a unique patented uh, product that automates the injection of chemicals into production wells, pipelines, anything that has to do that needs chemical treatment um, all over the United States and just now beginning to become uh, an international market. So. I have uh, hired uh, three of my children and two of my son-in-laws into the company. And so uh, there's a lot at stake with that too. So I can't, people ask me, you know, are you writing full time? I'm like, no, I don't dare because my family depends on, on the other company to feed their, uh, feed my grandkids. <laughs> so, um, wow. so what, yeah. And what's happened there, Elijah, is I just have um, got myself spread a little thin, but they're both, both my lives that I live right now are so good, uh, so amazing in many ways. So what do I do? I, I write books and I, I manage a company, a, a chemical company. So man, a full life. Yeah. And I've heard you, I've heard you kind of say kind of in, in teasing or in joking that a way that you ensured your kids lived close to you was you, you know, you started a company that you could employ them uh, with. And I actually like that. That inspires me. That's really fun to see multi-generational uh, anything, but multi-generational business, multi-generational ministry, of course, multi-generational faithfulness is something that the Bible speaks extremely high of what, well, you know, the, obviously the man in, in Psalm 112 and in Psalm 127 and 128. And so to see that lived out in different ways is really inspiring. Could you back us up a bit? Thank you for kind of catching us up to date. Um, because I look at what you're doing now and it all seems so crazy intentional and in everything that you you've done it seems like you don't really accidentally become a fighter pilot right that's not just like this passive route that you take and and same with your engineering background and getting patents these aren't things that you just kind of stumble across oh i ended up with a with a patent in your companies and and same with having six children and homeschooling them and now writing just the huge the 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 volume the sheer volume that you've been able to to be able to develop is is quite astonishing but i'm curious as to how that was developed even in your younger years you know were you brought up mm in a Christian home with, with a father that modeled that type of intentionality, or was it something that was developed later in life? What was that like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I, I was raised in a Christian home. It, um, my, my father was a, an amazing man. He was a world war two generation guy. Um, 
very, very relational, intentional in that regard, intentional in relationship. My mom was really kind of our spiritual uh, rock in the family. Uh, my dad was uh, quite, kind of later in life, uh, fully bought in to being a spiritual leader. And actually, once all of our, all of us kids, they had seven children. I'm the youngest of seven, hmm. and so um, it, it was an interesting uh, mix of uh, uh, quite a journey. One of the sessions I, I teach to to um, parents and young people alike is dealing with doubt because I went through a period of doubt, and I think some of that doubt obviously stem from being raised in a in a Christian home but going to a public school but also having maybe my dad not completely fully bought in spiritually so I, I was kind of in a little bit in between trying to sort things out and it wasn't until um, much later in life where God put people in my life to really put me on solid ground again so it was an interesting my, my dad was very very entrepreneurial very very creative and so I definitely um, took a a note from him on that regard. I, I loved. I, I I was I was destined to be an engineer. Very analytical by nature. Loved creating things, like building things. Love analyzing things. So the two things I wanted to be as a, as a kid was uh, an engineer and a fighter pilot. And so, um, you know, you say I'm, I'm, those things are intentional, and and they are for sure. Uh, but there were many things in my life that I felt. Uh, I call myself the accidental author, and and a lot of the things that actually happened, obviously not by accident, by God, by God's hand and by His design, but maybe not with quite as much specific intentionality that that you might think in my life. Um, one thing I have described myself as, and my wife would absolutely agree, is I'm very tenacious. <laughs> uh, I, I I go until it, it's done, whatever that takes, whatever it costs, and so. I definitely run the gamut of, of energy that is required to accomplish a task. And I definitely am a task um, accomplisher. Mm -hmm. So that's probably what people see mostly in, in me is um, that tenacity to accomplish things. I'm, I'm not, I'm not very good at resting and, and uh, that's a, that's a sin of mine <laughs> and I'm trying to get better at it. But um, I, I, I love being busy. I love, but, but it's not just idle. It's just not, it's busyness that I feel must have a purpose, an eternal purpose behind it, something that's God-driven. I don't want to waste my time, and I don't want to waste the time that God has given me. And so I'm really trying hard to make sure that, um, as, as the Bible says, I'm redeeming my time. Mm -hmm. um, so so that's, and I think that's what people see is just a, a real, a deep passion, especially for young people. That, that is absolutely what, what drove me to write the books. It's what's driving me today to go out and spend months on the road at speaking to con at conferences and to and encouraging families. Um, and, uh, that's what it's all about. And now I'm in a different phase of life with my own grandchildren starting to, to grow up and and, uh, and I get to speak into their lives too as I did to my own children. Not not quite as, as direct or as personal as, as my own kids, but still in a way that I feel grandparents um, are... It can and be purposeful about. So.
Hey everyone, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about our online music academy called votebergmusicacademy.com. Katie and I actually started this online music academy seven years ago, and over that time we've been able to see thousands of students go through our courses and learn how to play the guitar, the mandolin, the fiddle, the piano, the ukulele, and bring music into their home. And we really curated these lessons so that you're able to learn with your child or you're able to learn by yourself and then bring music into your home and play with your kiddos. We even have it so that you can, you know, subscribe to one course and have three of your kids take the same course. So it's really cost effective and you're able to go at your own pace and bring music into your home. Go to VoperMusicAcademy.com and check this out. Okay, listen up. This is where it gets really good. If you enter the coupon code YouTube at checkout, you will get 10% off each month's payment because it's a subscription. It's a reoccurring payment. So if you put that code in, then it's 10% off each month. So, I mean, that can really add up over time. So bring some music into your family's home. Go over to VoperMusicAcademy.com. I'll link it below. And you guys put in that coupon code and go learn how to play some piano, guitar, fiddle, mandolin, ukulele, your choice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And thank you for, thank you for sharing that. And I tell you what, what a cool opportunity that you have. Like you said, you're a grandfather. My dad's now a grandfather. My father-in-law's a grandfather. And when I look at the need for people in your position, they've, they've raised children. They now have grandchildren. This is in my selfish, from my selfish standpoint, this is when we need to hear from you the most, you know? And so I'm grateful that, like you said, you are, you are sacrificing a lot. You're on the road, you know, you're speaking and you're encouraging and equipping and that fires me up. I look at, I look at how much impact you're able to have. I look at how much impact my father and my father-in-law are able to have with all this experience garnered and, and oftentimes society and culture really promotes just, well, right off into the sunset and you know, go collect the seashells, you know, that you've put your work in, right? You've got every excuse you've put in the work. And yet, like you said, you want to redeem the time. And that really is inspirational. And I appreciate that. If we could back up, because you said in passing that your mother was kind of the spiritual rock in your home. And that's something that, boy, am I grateful for a spiritually minded mother, you know, that was a woman of the word and same with my mother-in-law and my wife is. So man, always grateful for, for women of the faith. But when it's in that context of the home, you even kind of imply that it's not the ideal, you know, it's not the ideal to have obviously a father that's one, not of the faith, but then two, not leading out in the home. And, and, and it's crazy, you know, statistics are staggering when it goes into essentially, I guess, to sum it up where, where the father goes, the, the household goes, you know, if the father's leading his family in, in devotionals and in the word, and if he's taking him to church, the likelihood of the children continuing on in that is so much greater as opposed to if it's just the mother doing those things. And is that something that you grew into as a, as a husband and as a father, because if it wasn't necessarily role modeled for you, but then you said you had this, this moment of doubt and crisis, did you go into your family thinking, boy, I want to do it differently. I want to be the dad that's, that's leading my family. Or did that develop out of need, so to speak? Yeah. Wow. That's a real insightful question. Um, it there's a number of aspects to that i guess to, to address um so i always I always go back to my my mother and and had before she passed here a couple of years ago I, I had the opportunity to just thank her multiple times for you know she didn't have a lot of the things that i needed 
um, to solidify my faith or resolve my doubt, especially when it came to scientific answers and things like that, because I was very, I was very scientific minded. But she never, she never wavered in her faith, and she, um, in spite of not having, you know, answers in Genesis and the Institute of Creation Research and all these uh, fantastic facility, you know, research institutions we have today that can help us with our faith. But she never wavered, and I, and I, and I. I told her, I said, Mom, you know, you didn't have that, and yet you still stayed true, and I just am so grateful that you did. And so, um, and my dad uh, was, was sort of in between. You know, he was certainly not opposed to church or anything like that. He wasn't, but he just didn't, like you said, didn't step out and lead us in that. And that was left on the, the shoulders of my mom. And and, um, and and I, you know, I obviously, I think she would have wanted something different, and I think it would have had a, a different impact on me. Now, as far as, like, my life and, and how that how that impacted me as a dad um you know the lord i think my heart from the very beginning was tender to the lord and I, and I don't i can't say that on any of my own um account it's just something that god put inside me and i'm very grateful for it and humbled by it because there were moments that god i, I call them moments of epiphany uh moments of destiny that that god put in my life and everybody has these I, I say there's about everybody gets about a dozen of these things and and then when you when you see them and, and it, it's a little bit like blind bartimus when jesus walked by the road and and he started to cry out and the people tell him be quiet be quiet and he cried out all the louder because he saw that this was a moment of, of definition in his life it was a moment of epiphany and um and everybody has these moments everybody's everybody has a moment when jesus walks by and um, what you what you do with that is going to determine, you know, you're, you're basically coming to a fork in the road and and what you do at that moment is going to determine your future. And I'm just very grateful that in the in the half a dozen to a dozen moments that God gave me, he softened my heart to hear and see Jesus walking by so that I could cry out. And, and then and then when Jesus turns to Bartimaeus, he says, what would you have me do for you? Which is remarkable. You know, obviously he's blind. He's lame. You know, he's just like he's like well heal me you know but some people don't even ask that question and so when when I, when jesus walks by your life and you recognize this moment of destiny in your life i just encourage people to grab hold of it and and be ready for when jesus says what do you want me to do for you because i think those are the moments that um that jesus just uses to transform you know not only lives but families and destinies and futures and so i i had an two or three of those before I became a dad. And 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 while I, I was a dad of young children, that really just gripped hold of my heart. And I, it was like Malachi 4, 6. And I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, unless I smite the earth with a curse. And man, the spirit of God just, just got hold of my heart on a couple of those moments. And I just thought, I got to do this right. I, I only get one shot at, at this. And I'm going to, I'm going to, there's the tenacity that came in. It was a spiritual tenacity. And I said, I don't care what it takes, God. I want these children to grow up loving you, knowing you, seeking you, pursuing you. Because, you know, the statistics are just eye-watering. 80% of young people raising in evangelical homes will walk away from their faith never to return. And uh, I thought, man, that's five of my six kids, God forbid. And so I will do whatever it takes. And so I, I think I... I had a lot of good fatherhood modeled in my dad in other areas. Spiritually, I had it modeled for me and my mom, but not necessarily as a male role model as a leader. And so God had to 
God helped me see through my military training how to be that leader and then couple that with the spiritual training that my mom gave me to kind of really take hold in, of, of being a, a spiritual leader in my home. Kind of a long answer to your question, but that that really was my my journey to not let this slip through my fingers with my kids. Well, yeah, I love the way you put that, just that moment of realizing when you have young children, boy, I've got one shot at this. And and that Malachi passage is something that is so powerful. And I feel like, man, that can be something that as fathers we should pray if we don't if if we can't say it's true to us. Say, Lord, I know it's of your heart for my heart to be towards my children. And uh sadly it's not a natural thing for a lot of husbands and a lot of fathers. But boy, can we pray that? Just pray, Lord, turn my affection towards my kids. Amen. I have a I tell I I get a chance to talk to dads every so often and I tell them, you know, I love that passage where um uh uh, this guy comes to Jesus and and he says, "Do you believe?" And he says, "I believe. Help thou my unbelief." And for me and my prayer, my prayer is, "Lord, I have passion. Help thou my apathy." You know. And and so, Dad, if you're out there and and you don't feel that passion, that spiritual passion that you know you need, start praying for it. That's, those are the prayers that God is so eager to answer. And so, yeah, you're 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 spot on. Wow, thanks for sharing that. You know, I've heard you say before that you and your wife when you got married, weren't necessarily planning on having a large family or, or maybe a family at all at one point, you know? And, and it's funny because like I said, you look, it's easy to look at your life now and be like, wow, how thought out and how intentional in every step of the way. But I think you even said that first kiddo wasn't necessarily a part of the original plan. And so what was, what was that experience like growing with your wife and going from, unless I'm mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, not really having plans to have any kids to all of a sudden homeschooling six children <laughs> no, exactly this is this is sort of that false perception of of a uh, really thought out well-planned life <laughs> honestly a, a lot of a lot of accidents but they weren't accidents they were, they were god saving us from ourselves and saving me from myself and that <clears throat> that is exactly what happened with that first little girl neither andrea and i were were wanting to have a child and you know, I was the youngest of seven. I had no little ones to base anything on. And she was the oldest and she had some, she had a sister that went, rebelled and had a hard time, with, made a hard time with their family. And so we just thought, man, why would we do this? This is just painful. And then all of a sudden God blessed us with this little girl and wow, it, it just opened our heart to children in a way that I just couldn't even imagine. I just had, I didn't even know it was in me. And, um, and so we uh, <laughs> we had we had more children and not well thought out or planned <laughs> that we just took them as God gave them to us. And uh, man, by the by the time we got to number six, I was I was ready for a dozen because <laughs> I just loved being a dad so much and I was ready to do whatever it took. But um, Andrew, it was it was getting more and more difficult for Andrew. So um, we never did anything to stop it. But God just said that was six is is what you guys need. And so. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's just amazing how I see the Lord um, putting things in our lives to grow us, to mature us, to bless us, even when we don't know to ask for it. And, um, and that's really, that was really our journey into parenting. And Andrea was the first one that had the vision to homeschool. Um, and that, that took me a little bit, but she, she drug me to a, a homeschool conference in Columbia, South Carolina, where I got to hear Greg Harris speak on faulty fatherhood using the example a lot. 
And in an afternoon, I was converted because God had already awakened my heart to my need to be a spiritual leader. And, and it just became absolutely clear that this was what we needed to do. So, yeah. Wow. So cool. And that's so powerful to, to hear. I, I'm such an advocate of doing things just like going to a conference. You know, it's crazy how mo those moments that you said, even with Jesus, you know, prompting you, they can happen. They, oftentimes they do happen at things like that conference where, where you're saying, boy, I, I know what I need to do as a father and, and, and making that decision for your home is something that, that obviously the, the fruit of is just, there's a long tail. It's got a long tail with the fruit. Yeah. And, and if there are any dads out there that are listen, listening to this, I, I, I cannot express enough to you that if you've never been to a conference like that, um, what it can mean for you personally in your own spiritual journey and what it can mean for your family and not only your family that you're raising right now, but a generation of families. You change the heart of one man and you change the destiny of a family. And there are a lot of men, I hundreds of men that have come up to me and just with, with that passion that renewed or maybe a birth passion in their life for God that, and some of them said, Chuck, I hear you. I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to start. That is the Holy Spirit moving in your life and pushing you into a great new future, a great new destiny. So just have the courage to step out just a little bit. Go find one of these conferences. Go find a, a speaker and a session that you feel that the Lord is leading you to listen to. And you'll be amazed at what God will do through that. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. And I'll be sure, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it, but um, like you said, you speak at these conferences and I, and I want to, you know, link down below just where people can follow you so that they can know where, where to go. You know, do they, do they have to go to North Dakota every time, you know, are there places that are, that are closer to where they live? You know, you talked about kind of taking some of your military knowledge and experience, and then that coupled with the, the spiritual nurture that you re received from your mother, you felt like you were able to kind of find something for your home that worked. And when I look at even just from, a, from afar, the different careers that you've had, I, I wonder if you were thoughtful, because I, I would say that there are some careers that are more conducive to a healthy family life and some that are less conducive to a healthy family life. And I wonder if is that something that even with using your military experience and then by the time when you got out, why you got out, being in the private sector and then being entrepreneurial, were these things that you kind of had this hierarchy in your brain of where you're thinking, okay, how does this career choice affect not just me personally, but how does this affect my marriage? How does this affect my children? And is that something that you have kind of gone through in your own life? And is it something that you try to encourage other men to do as well? I do. I mean, so <clears throat> when I decided to exit the Air Force, I was at the pinnacle of, of a great career. Um, I had, uh, I was getting close to, to getting promoted again. I was a assistant flight commander of a squadron of F-16s. Uh, I had won the respect of my peers and my superiors alike. Um, everything was just perfectly on track for a great career in the Air Force. And, and yet I was also looking at a remote tour to Korea. <clears throat> and it was right when the Lord had really awakened my heart to my need to be a spiritual leader in our home. So it was a really tough call. I, I really, um, Andrea and I both sat down and prayed for days and days on what to do about this. And <clears throat> quite honestly, I didn't, <clears throat> excuse me, quite honestly, I, I really didn't hear the Lord speak to me uh, in that moment. And as we struggled to 
try to listen to the Lord and, and, and go the direction he wanted us to. In his silence, I, I learned a lesson. And, and that lesson, I believe, is that, um, you know, there's coming a time in this, in the future of mankind where Christ is going to reign with his saints, right? And he said that some will rule, you know, regions and cities and nations. And, and you don't, you don't train future managers or leaders by making all the decisions for them. They have to learn to make those decisions for themselves. And so I think there's moments when, when the Lord is silent because he wants us to choose. He wants us to make a, a decision. And wherever we go, a little bit like Abraham, wherever he put his foot, God was there. And I believe that if we're truly being uh, called by God to serve him and our heart is, is pure before him, wherever our foot will go, he will be there. And I, I feel like that was a moment for us. And I did, um, Andrew and I did decide to exit the Air Force and come home to Williston, North Dakota. And um, I, I did it for family. And I thought, you know, maybe I'd throw my career away and that would be the end of any adrenaline fun that we might have. Um, but that was definitely not not the case at all. And so um, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's a scary thing, to be honest with you. Um, and for dads that feel their hearts being tugged and pulled toward home and work is pulling it the other direction, um, I obviously listen to the Lord. And that was probably one of the hardest decisions that I had to make in my life because I, it was everything I'd hoped for since I was, you know, eight years old. And yet God just blew the doors off of adventure and excitement and, and opportunity and purpose after that, even though I thought that was the end of it, you know? So uh, God is just amazing. He's just, he's such a cool God. And uh, if you step out in faith and you, and you truly wanted to honor him and serve him, man, you better watch out and hang on because he's got something coming for you. <laughs> and so for that, for specifically to get practical, you know, I, I don't ever just tell people, yeah, you need to quit your job so you can be home more. I don't ever say that because that's not necessarily what God's going to tell them. But um, my, my advice is if you know that God is leading you in a particular direction, um, then, then do that no matter what you think it's going to cost. And if God is silent, um, obviously bathe it in prayer, get the counsel of your wife, get the counsel of of other believers um but if you're if your heart is to be home and god is silent it, then it, i think where where you go god will be and i think we we could have pulled off a, a great family in the service i have friends that did that and did it well 20 years in and still did it but it was just a different a different path for 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 andrea and i and our children wow thank you so much for sharing that and that i mean that inspires me i, I get i get fired up hearing that because you know, I feel like so much of the trajectory of life, you know, you think of this arc in life and I think this is common amongst young men is you spend your twenties just kind of scrapping, trying to scrap to get any traction. And you're thinking, boy, I gotta, there's too much month at the end of the money. I just got to keep the bills paid. And then you put a couple kids on top of that and you're just trying to tread water. And oftentimes through schooling, through work experience, through hard work, the opportunities really can present themselves in your thirties and in your forties. But what else is happening in your thirties and forties? That's the prime time to be born into your children. And again, I'm not trying to assume this is the exact season it was in your life, but I can picture that nine years in it's all, I mean, all the things you've worked for it's and, and, and in an elite job, you know, in an elite thing that not many people can say that they had the opportunity for. And it really is inspirational to hear you talk about making that decision, not because it was this divine calling from the Lord that was so clear to you, but your heart was towards your home. 
you looked at the options before you, you trust the Lord and you made a decision that you felt like was best for your family. And, and then the cherry cherry on top is that the Lord gave you even more adventure than what you were, you know, expecting. And so that's really cool. Cause I do think that's a common situation that a lot of young, I know I find myself in that a lot of young men, the career opportunities really start to open up at the same time that your family needs you the most. And I think it's a, it's a crucial thing to prioritize the home over all those other things. That is so true. I, you know, and I did have one of those moments of epiphany a couple of years after I left the air force. Um, I was at work all day long and I was cutting grooves in a piece of steel for a huge mold that we were building. And, and I just was, uh, really getting a little bit discouraged because I remember coming home, driving home thinking, Lord, what have I done? Did I blow it? Did I throw it all away? I'm in, I'm in the most boring job now. Nobody even knows or cares what I just did today. And in, in that moment on that, on that drive home, the Lord just really whispered to my heart. He just said, because my prayer was, God, I want to do something great for you. And this year doesn't feel very great. <laughs> and I, I just thought I'd blown it. You know, my 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 career buddy, my, my buddies in the Air Force were all, you know, moving on and doing great things. And and so I got pretty discouraged and I said, Lord, I want to do something great for you. And in, in that in that moment in that road, the Lord just whispered to my heart and said, Chuck, you are going home to my great work for you right now. I've given you six children to raise, disciple, and launch for my kingdom. You go and do that well and be obedient in that. And it just changed my whole attitude about family and my job and where my purpose was coming from. And uh, the irony of it was it was just it was really just a like a couple of weeks later that God gave me my first story. Um to, to write for my children, which, which turned into, you know, what, what this is all about now, you know, 21 books and, and, and speaking tours. So um, I had no idea. It was just, it was just completely out of the blue. And yet because of my heart for my family, the Lord um, saw fit to, to bless me in a different way. And I'm just humbled that, <laughs> cause I, I'm, it's just, this is the accidental part. You never pegged me as a, as a, writer an author or a speaker uh, before this all happened and so uh, it, it's just completely the lord and all to his glory wow man thanks for sharing that and i tell you what that just gets me so excited to think that i get to go home to my kiddos i mean what a cool thing what a cool thing opportunity that we have to be raising up this next generation thanks for sharing that so you know you you brought up the writing and, and you you call yourself the accidental author and is there, I mean, tell us, is that a true statement? Because I mean, I get, you have your engineering background. You were the fighter pilot. There wasn't ever a time where you just crushed a creative writing class and you thought maybe this is something, or did this really kind of come out of nowhere? It completely came out of nowhere. The most I'd ever written was a, a couple of college freshman composition papers. Um, I mean, I, I did have, so the Lord um, caused me to think in, a lot of allegory and that sort of thing. So there was a, a children's story that I was just kind of thinking about a little bit before the first book I actually wrote. Um, I didn't really do much with it other than tell it to my children and it really seemed to move them. And then one evening we were having devotions and, and my kids were just not paying attention. And so I went to bed just really discouraged because I was wanting to them to, to really understand and get grab hold of the same passion that I wanted from my heart, you know? And, um, uh, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and this story was just kind of like a download from the Lord. It was uh, the story of a of a prince who comes from the kingdom across the sea, and he's dressed as a pauper, but he's a master of the sword, and he starts to raise up a, 
an army of knights to fight against the evil shadow warriors that had infiltrated in the, the land. And anyway, I wrote it down and, and read it to my kids at the next devotions, and they just were on the edge of their seats. And that was really kind of the beginning of it. I, I never, ever planned on writing a book. I actually, it took me months before I could actually trap my wife in the car and have her read it. I was kind of embarrassed to even give it to her. <laughs> and so uh, she was an English teacher and had done a lot of literature teaching and that sort of thing. So but she read it in the two-hour trip or so that we had, and she closed it up with a tear in her eye and said, Chuck, oh. you have to share this with other families. And so wow. I said, well, I don't know how to do that. I'm not, a, you know, and I don't want to, you know, submit a thousand manuscripts to publishers and get told no forever. So I don't know what we're going to do. And so, yeah, no, we just stumbled into this, honestly. Um, didn't have an agent, didn't have a publisher, did it all by hand ourselves, you know, for the first few years and God just kept blowing the doors open. So, so what year was this then that you came out with this first book? It was in 2000. Okay. Uh, that was when it all began. Yeah. yeah Cause self-publishing wasn't what it is now then. I mean, no. and so again, you said you stumbled across it, but there was some labor involved here to get that thing to print, I'm guessing, and, and to get it to the consumer. And so at that point, did you think, okay, the, you, like you said, you're, you had the the vote, the backing of your wife. Was there, it's kind of hard to, I guess, tippy toe into that situation. Be like, okay, we'll start with five copies and then 50. You can't really do it that way. So there's an element of faith here. Did you have at that point, was this one of your trilogies? Was this a series that was going or was this a one-off that you had in mind? What was, what was the thought process as far as, was there anything beyond this one book in your brain? I, there was just there was just one book in my brain and it and it was uh you're right the self-publishing world back then was not easy and um uh, but this is where the, my tenacity kicked in um i i don't my ironically my prayer during those years was pretty single-minded it was lord if you don't want this to happen then stop it and shut it down because i'm a tenacious guy and i'm gonna run it till it runs out and uh so if, if this isn't you then show me so I can step away and put my time and energy into something else. And uh, every time I prayed that prayer, uh, something just incredible happened. God just started you know, blowing open the doors. And I actually did print the first five books. I just did I took it down to a print shop and had them print up five copies. And I handed them to friends and said, hey, there's this guy that wants an, an objective opinion. I put, I put a different name on it. <laughs> I put a pen name. And uh, people that I trusted, people that you know I knew loved the Lord, and because I thought, man, if 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 it comes back and they think, man, this is garbage, and I know exactly what I need to do, and let's just walk away. <laughs> and so, uh, so anyway, I, that's not what happened. I, these these five people gave me some amazing feedback, and and uh, so the the step of faith was really at the point where, well, maybe there is something here. So we did we printed five hundred copies, put them in my garage, and I told my wife, well, honey. I'll give six to my kids and we'll have 494 for, uh, for kindling for the fireplace. And, uh, we're done. I did my, I did my share. <laughs> and so, but word got out at our, at our North Dakota state homeschool conference. And, and one of the directors decided to just put me in a booth in a corner. I didn't even have, have a booth or anything. They just put up a table and man, books just started flying <laughs> and we started getting amazing responses. And, uh, I don't know how far you want to go, but I have one little story. Uh, uh, so I, I did find, a, I went to the biggest uh, vendor of books at the at the conference. His name was Victor Stor Storkel, and he had the Berean bookshelf. And, and he had like, you know, eight boots and, you know, he was huge. 
And I went up to him and I said, hey, Mr. Storkel, you don't know me at all, but I just wrote this book. Thought maybe looking at what you have, you might be interested in it. And I had my own little self-printed little business cards and handed him the book. And he, he stopped everything he did, he was doing, and just took five minutes with me and talked about it, which I was just impressed with. And he um, he took the book. He said, yeah, we'll take a look at it. So a couple of weeks go by and I, I, I thought, well, you know, Lord, I just don't know, you know. But at least I need to call this guy and see. He's going to be able to tell me if there's anything here. So I call him up and I say, hey, Mr. Storkel, this is Chuck Black. I don't know if you remember. Me. Oh, yeah, I remember you. You gave me that book at the conference. I said, yeah, yeah. I said, well, I was just curious if you had a chance to look. He said, well, he said, you know, I I didn't really look at it. I gave it to my son and he hates he hates reading. And I'm like, okay, well, have a nice day. You know. <laughs> but he said, no, no. He said uh, he started reading the book and, man, Chuck, he really, really liked it. He liked it a lot. He said, but we, he really wants the next, the second half of the book. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? He said, well, he got to page 70 and the book repeated itself. It was just a, you know, a duplicate. It was, it was a, it was a faulty book. And I was like, oh my goodness, I have 500 faulty books sitting in my garage. I, you know, I didn't page through them. And I thought, oh, I, I just blown it. I said, I'm so sorry, Mr. Sturkel. Let me, let me get you another book right away. He says, no, he says, I don't need another book. My son hates reading so much and he loved this book so much. He said, I'll just take 50 right now. Send, send me 50 books and we'll sell them. And uh, so I hung up grateful and stunned and ran out to the garage and started looking. And that was the only book out of 500 that was faulty. And I, to me, it was like the Lord saying, you see, even, even some, somebody as weak and broken as you, I can make, I can bless. And so God, in spite of that, uh, and, and he started selling them by the hundreds and hundreds and, that that was kind of the, the journey into well maybe there's something here so well thanks for sharing that story and and we'll, I'm sure we'll we'll get into this later that you know eventually you got picked up by by a big publisher and that's uh, is that still currently who you're working with is that are your books now published through Multnomah is that uh, uh, so fifteen of the books are. Okay. But my last project, I've returned to self-publishing, actually. So. Nice. Fantastic. Now, you you talked, uh, we're going to back up just a bit, because if you don't mind, because you, you sure. talked about having this inspiration to share this story with your children and that kind of bringing about, you know, th th your writing career. And you also mentioned how your father was a relational, relational man, you know, and that your mother was a spiritual leader. And then you talk about your propensity to be a, a, a guy that's always doing something. You, you talk about being tenacious and very busy. Has that been something? Cause I think a lot of guys can maybe relate to one of two extremes and that's being extremely relational saying, Hey, I'll drop anything, you know, I'll let the weeds grow in the front yard and I'll sit with you and just talk about life. And then the other dad that, you know, if there's a, the start of a weed out in the yard, he's not going to talk to any of his kids until, you know, he runs to home Depot and make sure he, you know, he does everything he can to get all the edges dialed in in his yard and staying very busy. I'm kind of being, you know, a little bit cheeky here, but the, those two extremes, what's that like? Because each of your, each of our kids are going to require different elements of emotional connection and a relational connectivity. How have you managed that? Like you said, even in your own propensities as a guy that's always busy, always doing, but then the need to slow down and be relational with children. Wow. Those are just great questions. Uh, you, you really hit the nail on the head there. So I, I'm actually a pretty extreme introvert. Um, even though I have to talk to thousands of people every year, God's got me so far outside my comfort zone. It's, it's kind of funny. But in reality, uh, I and being the last of seven and the previous five were all boys. So 
there was just a lot of grunting and testosterone going on. <laughs> and so when it came to children, I, I they made me nervous. And, and honestly, quite I was quite scared of that. Um, didn't know. I, I'm not nearly as relational as my dad was or some of my brothers who are way more natural at it. So I really can empathize with a lot of guys out there that, are, that struggle with that, um, to be honest. And, and most guys, I think, probably tend that direction than the other. Um, and so I had to work really hard at it. And my wife was really helpful. I mean, I really leaned into her. Um, but I discovered that um, once I once I got myself um, past a certain point, kind of punched through the barrier, I, I could really get relational in a purposeful way. Um, and I, I discovered that I have a circle. <laughs> and if you're inside my circle, man, I, I, I'm, I'm all over it, you know, with you. And I'll have those hard conversations with you. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do what we have to to get you through this, you know, whatever it takes. If you're outside my circle, then my, my introvertness kicks in and I, I don't, I'm not that relational. Um, and that's just something I've known about myself. And I'm working on that. You know, I think the Lord wants us to be, have a good balance of all of that. And I think that's the key. Obviously, I'm extremely task driven. But when I started um, writing books, which obviously happened you know, in the evenings and late at night, because I couldn't do it during the day with my job, I, I made a commitment um, to the Lord and to my wife and to my children that my writing would not interfere with my family time or my relationships with them. And so that did mean that I had to drive myself pretty hard because you don't, you know, you just don't write 15 books, 30 minutes a night. It just takes more than that. God gave me extra energy to get through that. Um, but I, I did not want the thing that drove me to the books, which was my children, to then take me away from that, my children. And so I, I just had to, I had to get uncomfortable with myself and and do what i knew god wanted me to do and it was all about the kids it was all about my wife first and then it was all about the kids and family no matter what it costs job hobbies everything i just put it i put all that on hold so that i could really um invest and that's that's i think that's really what the best description it's a spiritual investment into the lives of your children so uh, i just encourage dads you know if, if you're not good at it you know Kind of suck it up, get good at it, do what you have to. Um, and there's ways I think that that if you're praying about it, that God will help you through that. Like He helped me through that. It took some time, but I got there, and and I'm grateful for it. So. Yeah, thanks for sharing that because it is uh, we we are given so many excuses this day and age because of uh, personality tests. You know, there's uh, you know there's the uh, there's every yeah. kind of, you know, the Enneagram or the Strengths Finders or the Myers Briggs, and you can just go through the list and say, "Oh, I'm," you see, I'm not, a, I'm not a relational guy, and so I'm, a, I'm a more of a, I like being busy with my hands, so that's what I do. And I love you just saying, "No, let's." And my dad says this too. He just said, "No, that's what you don't get it. When you're a dad, you've got to be all those things. You do. You've got to, you've got to, you know, stay up until three talking with your son that's struggling. You know, yep. even though you know." you want to get up and crush your workout at five 30 the next morning because you're a, you know, you're a task oriented guy. You've got to do it all. And I, and I like you saying that. Um, and, and this isn't any macho, how, how awesome are we? We can do it all. All of our dependence is on the Lord. I mean, apart from the, unless, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain that build it. And so this is 100% dependent on God's grace and his mercy. And we go to him first and foremost, and we acknowledge that this is the role he's put us in is the role to be, to be that, 
father for, for our children. So I really appreciate you, you, you saying all that. Yeah. And, and just to uh, touch on that a little bit further too, uh, I learned um, that there are some, like you said earlier to Elijah, that the, there are some kids that um, maybe need more emotional connection than others, but I had, I had a uh, two or three kids that didn't seem to need it as much, but that's just surface. And, and I learned that they actually really do need it, even though they're not ne necessarily asking for it. Um, I had one son who was like, you know, he'd just come in and sit down in the chair in my office. And I knew it, it was like, okay, stop everything you're doing. You know, it's, it's, it's Ian and me for the next two hours, whatever. And then there were other children, a couple other children that I had to, I had to invade their personal space. You know, I had to, I had to knock on their bedroom door, go in and sit down beside them on the bed and and keep at them until they'd finally open up, crack open and start sharing their heart. And you you just can't assume that just because they're not asking of things of you or, or, or connecting with you, that everything's okay. Um, you, you really do need to to make sure that you're you're doing a, a relationship check with them. And that's something that Andrew and I, um, we would do, we would sit down and say, hey, how are you doing with so-and-so? And how are you doing with so-and-so? We kind of do a, a check and invariably there would be one child it's like whoa and neither one of us had connected we better we better check that out you know so um just don't don't take the easy path i guess is kind of what i'm saying there because mm. it, 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 it's easier to just kind of you know move on if there's no no problem but they're, they're they need that too they need that even if they're not asking for it well thank you for saying that because that is something that i could see myself easily falling into is that you know you got you got kids that seemingly are requiring more emotional bandwidth because they, maybe they wear their emotion on their sleeve and say, no, we got to tend to this. You got to put this fire out, but you can't just assume that because your child is not as overt with their emotion, that they don't have emotional needs. That's, that's so good to keep in mind. You know, you mentioned your wife getting on the same page with her talking about asking that question, where are you at with the kids? Where are we at relationally? And I'm curious, you know, again, I think I've, I've heard you share some stories about uh, some dramatic changes that you implemented into your home because you saw some dangers or you saw some, sh some things that needed changing and realizing, oh man, my wife really needs to carry the brunt of this because of the nature of you being away at work. And I think that's a common thing, especially in homeschool families where the father's leading out. It's good, you know, being that provider, that protector, you know, checking the temperature, seeing where everybody's at and then implementing a decision, but then realizing, man, the, the wife's really executing a lot of this, you know, the wife's following through with this. And so what was that journey like with your wife and being on the same page with her and being like-minded in your vision and your goals? Because I know that's something that I don't want to just make a big, big decision for the home and say, figure it out, honey. You know, I'll be back at five 30, make sure you have dinner ready. Uh, and so what, what were those conversations like with your wife throughout those big decisions? Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Uh, it's a good thing to explore. Honestly, I think it starts earlier. I think, I think we'd probably have to like go back and before implementing something that challenging, potentially challenge, challenging for her in your absence, there first has to be this real sense of of mutual respect and mutual trust you know she's got to know that um that we've got their back you know and and i you know it it took it took a, a number of years i think for andrea and i because of our different backgrounds to get to that point where she could fully trust me and, and i had to prove myself out honestly i mean i had to i had to show her i was willing to be um the sacrificial servant leader. And that doesn't mean I did all the dishes or the laundry or anything, but it meant that 
any decision and any action I took was going to be for the, the good of her and for the good of the family. And she came to trust that. And so when there was a really challenging and hard decision to implement in the family that was going to cause lots of <laughs> turmoil and that she had to basically be the implementer of it. She knew that it, it wasn't me just making a flippant call and then walking away. It was, I was going to be there to support her um, throughout the whole process. And even though not necessarily in, present every minute of the day, but that I was going to be there for emotional support. I was going to take the brunt of any disciplinary actions, um, that she could trust that it wasn't just a me kind of lording my leadership over her. So I think that's that's really the key. And Andrea, Andrea came from a, an interesting home. Her it was a feminist home and that sort of thing. So we had it. We had to work, you know, sort some things out. And it took us a few years to do that. Um, and but she did do it beautifully. And she prayed for it. And the Lord brought people into her life to help her get there. And 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 obviously, I had a lot of growing to do too as a young guy. But when those decisions came and we had to make them, the first thing I would do is say, honey, I feel like the Lord is leading us this direction. Would you please pray about it and see what God is telling you as well? And um, invariably, God would just show up in just amazing form and uh, confirm what he had spoken to me about in her. And um, and then together as a team, we could take it on. So. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's just key. You, you, you've got to be a team. You've got to show that to your kids. And you, you just got to. I, I ask men, you know, would you be the leader that you yourself would follow? I mean, would you follow yourself into battle if you were the leader? Because I had a lot of leaders in, in the military. Some of them were fantastic and some of them were lousy. There are guys I'd follow, right, you know, march right up the hill with. And there's other guys that were like, what? This is not happening, you know? And so. If we can't be that kind of guy where we'd follow ourselves up the hill and into the battle, then why can we? Why should we ask that of our wives? And so, um, I, I mean, that was constantly on my mind: is 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 she gonna? Am I the kind of guy that she's gonna want to follow, not just have to follow? Mm. And so, um, and th at those critical moments in family, uh, that really plays in. Wow! Thanks for sharing that. This is extremely motivating. Um, yeah, a great question to ask yourself as. As a man, you know, would I follow myself in the battle? You, you, again, so grateful for all that you're doing right now in real time for um, the homeschool community, for the for the body of Christ. What are some things that are on your heart, on your mind now? You know, I've heard you speak to technology and kind of how, how different ways you've navigated that. Because you even talk about, you know, you being, um, were you an electrical engineer? Is that your your background and degree. And so you knew that technology was going to play a role in your home. So you were probably more proactive than, than the average parent. Um, and yet, you know, you, you've talked about the dangers of that. I don't know if you could speak to that or anything else that you see as being like, man, this is just, I see this as being a thing right now that homeschool families are dealing with. That they need to be on the alert with, is there anything like that that stands out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, I guess, you know, Broadly speaking, there's two things in particular, and the one you kind of mentioned is technology, which we had to deal with uh, very specifically in our oldest son's life. He, uh, at a young age, at like 13, I saw him becoming addicted to video games. You know, so we had to take some, some, you know, what other people would call drastic actions, and and um, he's very grateful to this day. Um, he ended up becoming a, a an F-16 pilot himself, and um, he told us once that you know he was very grateful we stepped into his life. 
because he didn't know where it, where he was going to be, but be, but he knew that he would be there as a as a fighter pilot. So um, that just that that takes uh, some courage to do that. It, it takes it really uh, trusting in God, and 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 boy, we had to do that a lot. <laughs> but so technology, and and you know that was years ago, and now today it's even more prevalent and more enticing and more engaging as. VR becomes more of a, a, a tremendous uh, pull on their hearts. And of course you get the TikTok and videos and social media. It's just out of control. I, I'm more worried about my grandchildren than I was even my children now. So I don't, I honestly don't have a great formula for what to, to give parents today other than you got to make sure that your relationship is rock solid. You got to keep teaching them about um, and giving them an eternal vision uh, something beyond the here and now, because that's what the technology is all about today is tickling the, the tickling the flesh and, and, you know, but so that's huge. Technology is huge. And I, I talk about that one a lot out there. The other one though, for me, just in the last four to five years, it, the, the level of deception and perversion that the enemy is heaping upon our young, this young generation is appalling and I, I feel like christians are often behind the curve in preparing for it and so the the you know when when the disciples came to jesus and jesus was, was talking about the end times and they came to him privately and said well tell us when these things are all going to happen when when is this going to go down you know when and the very first thing jesus tells his disciples is about the end days is do not be deceived and there is so much deception right now in our culture, in our society, in America in particular. And so I am just passionate about helping young people identify and seek the truth. And, and that comes by being able to identify a lie, you know, and what those lies are. And, and, and so apologetics for me is a big part of that. Um, I mean, obviously, a, a super solid biblical teaching and being grounded in the faith but, but more than ever we got to have a solid apologetics approach um that can tear through the lies of the enemy and expose them for what they are for our young people so those are the, those are the two things for me technology and and uh and exposing the lies of the enemy yeah well you know it's crazy that you bring up those two things because i would venture to guess that the number way number one way that the lies of the enemy are being propagated are through technology. You know, it's through the social media platforms that you talked about. It's even through literature. It's through, it's through um, all media form formats, you know, including video games. And, and, you know, you can talk about the danger of being addicted to the activity of video games and that and there being a real danger in that, but then also the danger of what, what the video games are teaching us. What are they what are they promoting as being good and true and lovely? And, and what, what is, what is, and, and that's, I think the scary thing about there being so much information is that there is a narrative behind all of it, whether or not we realize it. And so our kids are hearing a narrative and there is going to be something that's deemed in this narrative as being good. And some of this deemed as being bad. And unfortunately, the majority of it is flipped on its head. What is good? They're calling bad and what's bad. They're calling good. And so, when you look back in your own life, you know, you talked about your son. This is something that really stood out to me, um, having an addiction to video games. And I think you've shared this. It wasn't just, okay, we're going to eradicate this. You wanted to give him a bigger vision, 
a bigger mission. And that's pretty powerful, honestly. Not only that you have sons working with you in your company, but then you had a son that followed in your footsteps in that way too, you know, to, to be a pilot. And that's something that I really want to be able to to give to my kids because it's really easy, honestly, right now as Christians to say, man, it's real bad out there. This is all so negative and be kind of like, I don't, you know what? There's probably no hope. And if there's no hope, well then why wouldn't we just go play video games and stick our head in the clouds? Does that make sense? And why wouldn't we just check out if there is no hope, but you didn't take that route. You said, Hey, this is dangerous. I'm going to give you a bigger vision. I'm going to give you something that you can work towards. So is there a way that you could kind of maybe encourage me, encourage people, my generation with that mindset? Like you said, it is tough. There's a lot of deceit out there, but how do we have a bigger vision that actually gives us something to work towards rather than just saying, well, it's still, I guess we'll go play the video games. <laughs> it's going to be bad. Just give up now. Right? Yeah. No. Yeah. No, it's a great point. And I guess a couple of things come to mind. First of all, we need to help them understand that um, by casting an eternal vision that they need to understand that this world is so temporary. And, and the Lord never called us to give up. He never calls us to circle the wagons. He didn't call us to hunker down. He didn't call us to go become hermits in the mountains and wait for the end of the world, ever. He calls us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. It, it, when we retreat, the enemy wins. And so he absolutely... This isn't about, oh, it's getting so bad, let's just forget about it. No, this when when you know when the gospel is persecuted, it expands and grows exponentially. And so um we need to raise up the Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednego's of the of twenty twenty three and help them understand because things were bad for them. They it was bad. I mean, it, it was worse than it is right now. And in spite of that, God used those three young men to 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 change the heart of a king and to proclaim God as the author of the universe in a, in a really dark world. And so it, it, that, that's the kind of kids we need to get kids excited about being heroes of the faith. And you can, the best time to be a hero is when the bad guy's coming at, at you over the hill. And so, um, you know, I, the theme of a lot of my stuff is spiritual warfare. And that's what this is all about. This is spiritual warfare in, in the, in the highest degree. You've got to have your kids, Put on a set of glasses to see into that spiritual realm and understand that man rearranging electrons on a on a computer screen is absolutely a worthless waste of time now i'm not saying we shouldn't have fun and enjoy some time with our friends or whatever but you better understand that if you're thinking that that's a, a replacement for anything purposeful in life you're thinking wrong and god's going to hold us accountable to that because he's got a he's got a battle to win and he needs us to be in that battle and be fully engaged and charging the hill so um th that's that's my that's my mantra. <laughs> and uh, we need to get out our swords and our shields and our armor and our helmets. And we need to, we need to get after it and get going. Um, and so I, I think that the, the America is slipping today because believers have done that. They've kind of, they've retreated and they, and they're not equipping our young people with a, a spiritual perspective, with an eternal perspective um, as warriors for the Lord Jesus Christ in a spiritual sense and lovers of people. And so, uh, and that's, that is just such a noble calling. And when you can get your kids excited about that, and, and honestly, Elijah, that is what my books are all about. Um, getting young people excited, maybe in a whole different way, about their journey as a believer in Jesus Christ. And once that happens, once you can get rid of the apathy, the rest of it, the Holy Spirit will take care of. And so um, mm. I, I think I, I really am. am um, and that's the thing about technology and 
video games and social media breeds apathy and apathy is a killer of faith. So, wow. Um, anyway, there you go. That, There's my little soapbox. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I love just that. I think you said when you get rid of the apathy, the Holy spirit will take care of the rest. Maybe meaning you'll know what the application is. You know what you are to put your hand to, you know, that it's, it, you know, whether or not you're supposed to be the FCC pilot or you're supposed to be the engineer, or you're supposed to whatever, you know, go down whatever path and work heartily as unto the Lord. And I appreciate that because the danger is the apathy, not in just, you know, misplacing your priorities. It's like, man, apathy is the, like you said, just the killer of, of faith. Thank you for sharing that in regards to your books. There's so many that we could speak to, but are you able to, you know, as we wrap up here, Give us a brief overview because you, I mean, you're in sci-fi, you do fantasy, you're, you, you do the run that you do spy thrillers. I mean, man, what, what do you not do? Uh, and you do a combination of all those sometimes. And so what, yeah, what, what could you kind of give us maybe quick chronological order of the series and the books and, and kind of maybe where you would, if you, if you'd ever do this, you know, where to start, what, like, what, what would you suggest being a place to start? Yeah, no, thank you for that uh, chance to do that. So yeah, I do have quite a gamut of, of genres that I, and they're all ones that I absolutely love. And I, I, I didn't know, if, like I said before, I didn't know if any of them were going to be successful or not, but the young people out there just seem to really be really enthralled and enjoying them. Um, I, I consider myself actually more of a teacher than an author. And I don't hope that doesn't scare anybody away because the books aren't preachy at all. That's one of the things I'm grateful to hear back from my readers is that they're very uh, spiritually based, but they're not preachy. And one of the ways I, I think that that has been successful is in the, the use of allegory. Um, once you use allegory, you don't have to get preachy. You can let the story itself do the, the talking. And so um, I have, uh, of my 21 books, uh, one of them is a dad's book. Um, all but three of them are allegory. And I just, I find such power in allegory. And, you know, it's, just kind of took a lesson from Jesus. You know, that's what parables are. They're basically mini allegories. And uh, we love story. And when you when you put it into an allegorical form, you can just bring some dramatic truth lessons into into, into the story. So, so to start off with, um, the Kingdom series is a six-book allegory of the entire Bible that starts in Genesis and goes all the way through the book of Revelation. It's, um, it's I'm, a, I'm an action kind of guy, so lots of action. Uh, it's all about spiritual warfare and explaining, you know, through a uh, a little bit tamer sense, we're using allegory, what spiritual warfare uh, looks like and what it can mean to us even today uh, through those allegories, medieval allegories. Um, the books are great for ages probably seven or eight all the way to adulthood. Um, both guys and gals equally enjoy them. There's multiple layers of allegory in that, in that series. So whether you're eight, an eight-year-old girl or a 20-year-old guy, you're going to glean from the, the, the stories where you're at spiritually. And um, so that's kind of fun to see that happen. Um, so that's kind of the Kingdom series. The next series I wrote, it was a spinoff from that. I call it a companion series called The Knights of Erythrae. And uh, it happens in the, the time frame where allegorically would be the church age. But it's really allegorical, not on historical events, but on um, virtues and vices, and specifically on how to overcome strongholds. Every book has a different theme. Uh, so Sir Kendrick is overcoming a spirit of rebellion. Sir Bentley is overcoming greed. Sir Dalton is overcoming spiritual doubt. Lady Carlis is um, conquering escapism or addiction to to um, an escapism type world, whether it's technology or social media or whatever. Um, Sir Quinlan is overcoming apathy. 
and then Saron is is overcoming the stronghold of pride. And uh, those are same by same age range, but as you can tell, that the application may be a little bit older, like in the teenage years and that sort of thing. Um, but it's never too early to start teaching young people about you know strongholds and how to overcome them. So, so those are the twelve books that make up the the night the the medieval kingdom of Erythrae. Um, then I, I detoured a little bit and went into a uh, a different series called The Wars of the Realm, and it's a three book trilogy. And I always felt like if I had a set of glasses that I could put on my kids, they, they could take a glimpse through those glasses and see into the spiritual realm that it would change their lives forever. I mean, it would just like, you know, and I think that'd be true for all of us. We would really know what to be serious about. And so I thought, man, I, I'd love to write a set of books that would do that you know, for them. And that's what the Wars of the Realm is. It's my attempt at putting spiritual glasses on young people. It is a, um, it's a science, I'm sorry, it's a, it's a uh, CIA, FBI military thriller. Uh, it's what I call kind of a cross between like a Jason Bourne story, uh, The Matrix, and a Captain America. <laughs> um, it's pretty intense. Uh, I'm sold. It's, Man. You're sold. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the passionate response we have had from the middle to older teens and adults has been kind of stunning. Um, well, that's I have to be honest. That's actually the only, only of your books that I've read is the first of that trilogy, and that was right before oh. – you know, I, I kind of found out about you because I've only been aware of you for a short time now. And so I've only had time to read that one. And I mean, coming from a guy that's unashamedly a spy thriller guy, you know, has grown up with Tom Clancy and Vince Flynn. I was like, this is this guy speaking my language. And so I really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what you what you read, the first book is actually from the perspective of the young man that the whole story centers around mm -hmm. and the young gal, too. The second book is a is is an interesting twist on things. It's it's from the perspective of the angel that's charged to protect him, and then the third book is the intersection of the man and the angel's life and how God uses the man and the angel to bring about uh, the fulfillment of an end times prophecy. So uh, that's that's the Wars of the Realm trilogy, and then um, I always had a heart for science fiction when I was young. I read medieval and I read science fiction, so I returned to one of my first loves. As I got older, the science fiction tended to get dark and perverted and weird. And so I gave up on it in my college years. And uh, I thought, man, I'd, I'd sure love to have a, a, a redeeming set of science fiction books for believers out there. Cause you know, we, there's a lot of believers that just love sci-fi and like me. And so I decided to give it a shot. Um, this one is self-published and my publisher was just a little bit nervous about a, sci a Christian science fiction novel, which to be honest is hard to pull off. Um, well, uh, but I went to allegory and it really just opened the doors and took the, you know, took the hinges off for what I could do then. And so um, it's an allegory of the Bible again, from the story, beginning story of Moses all the way through uh, to Christ. It's going to be to the end of time. I've got five of 12 books published and written. And so um, it's just a really interesting, unique take on science fiction and the Bible. Uh, it sounds weird, but it, it seems to work, and, and people seem to be really enjoying it. I'm grateful that God has given me an opportunity to to move a new direction. Wow. Yeah, thank you so much, Mr. Black, for, just, for all the work that you do. As a father of young children, I'm so thrilled. We've got this 
reservoir of of literature to bring into our home you know that they can start reading this stuff that they can be learning these lessons and i'm enjoying it my i know my wife's excited to dig into this stuff we love reading we love consuming uh you know the written word in our home so i'm so grateful and, and here you are taking time to talk to us i tell you what when i hear everything that you're doing that you've done and if i'm not mistaken you've got a wedding coming up here soon right one of your is it a daughter or a son that's getting married our youngest son, we have so five of our six children are married. Our youngest son is getting married here in about what four days. Wow. And so yeah, but you know, anytime I get a chance to, to talk to, to families and encourage young people in their faith, I'm gonna take it. So I appreciate the opportunity here, Elijah. Yes. Again, thank you so much. And I'll be sure to link everything below um, your website, anywhere else people can follow you because um, you're just such a tremendous resource to the whole Christian community and to families particularly. So thank you so much. Hope you enjoy the wedding. Congratulations on another in-law and uh, yeah, Lord's blessings on the rest of your work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. God bless you and your family. Mm -hmm.